Hi there, everyone. I trust that you're doing well. I trust that you're full of faith and full of zeal for the Lord. And I also trust that you've been enjoying this series on getting things done. I want to just say to you before we get started that we are planning to have a week of prayer and fasting as a church the first week of February. Okay, so from Monday the 1st of February right through to the end of day, Saturday the 6th of February, those first six days. It's going to be a week of prayer and fasting, and uh, I trust that you'll also join us for all our daily prayer meetings that we've been having on Zoom, and uh, we'll be doing that um, at an in-depth level during that week of prayer and fasting. And I'm aware that many of you have already been fasting uh, by tradition and by habit, and uh, I encourage you to join us for that particular week of prayer and fasting. It's going to be very powerful. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you're about to impart to us. We open ourselves up to you, Holy Spirit, and we say, come. Come and teach us. Come and lead us. Come and guide us. We're trusting you for wisdom, Lord. May the spirit of wisdom and revelation be so strong. Give us also the power to do what we have heard. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today I'm going to be talking to you on the subject of managing your priorities managing your priorities. A big complaint that a lot of people have today as I coach them in the workplace is typically feeling like everything is urgent. You know, uh, they've got goals, but they don't have priorities. They say to me, Paul, the problem is that I don't know what to focus on. Uh, Paul, my boss, uh, for him, everything is urgent. What do I focus on? And when you continue in this state, you usually end up being ineffective. You end up unproductive. And um, this can cause you to feel a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety, you see. Um, so prioritizing is important when it comes to getting things done because we want to make sure we're getting the right things done, you see. We want to make sure we're getting the right things done. It's one thing to be busy. It's another thing to be productive. You want to make sure that you are busy in the right direction. And sadly, many people are active, but they're active in the wrong direction. So I want to be a person who gets things done, but I want to make sure I'm getting the right things done. And I trust that if you open your heart uh, to this message, the Lord will really minister to you in this particular area. Because I know there are many people uh, who can identify with what I'm saying. Right? Uh, we need to place a premium on getting things done, you see. And this is what prioritizing does. Prioritizing produces focus. And focus will cause you to get the right things done. There's power when it comes to focus, you see. The, the reality, ladies and gentlemen, is there are some things that are more important than others. And when you don't realize this, then what happens is that the not-so-important things will end up draining you, they'll end up distracting you, and they'll also misdirect you so you don't have energy for the most important things, okay? And this is so powerful when you understand this, that very often the good things in life end up being the enemy of the greater things that God has called us to. Now, some things must have our primary focus because focus produces energy. Have you noticed that? So let me start off by defining what uh, prioritizing actually means, okay? So to prioritize, uh, the first definition is to designate or treat something as being very or most important. To designate or treat something or someone as being very or most important. All right. So we're really using the superlative there. Right. The department has failed to prioritize safety within the oil industry. Okay. Um, where safety must be seen as something of primary importance. Okay. Second definition I want to unpack is this one. Determine the order for dealing with a series of items or tasks according to their relative importance. So this is when we talk about the order of or, or the ranking of things in your life, right? For example, age affects the way people prioritize their goals. What are we saying? As you grow older, the order and the ranking of certain things tends to change, okay? Your values tend to shift. The things that were of primary importance when you were young, you're like, you know what, that's still cool, but it's not the primary thing in my life. And I'm telling you now, when we master the art of managing our priorities, it takes us to another level. 
One of the things I've realized is that a lot of people don't have a problem knowing their priorities. You say to them, what are your priorities? They'll tell you. Our challenge is managing them. Our challenge is managing our priorities. How do you handle those priorities? How do you fight for them? Managing your priorities begins with knowing the relative importance of things in your life. Okay, that's the starting point. And many of you, you know that you know what those things are. Right? Do you know the big rocks in your life? If I give you a, a big jug and I say, you know what, I want you to fill this jug up with uh, big rocks and then small pebbles and then sand and water. That's what I want you to do. Now, if that's your end state, will it work if you start off with the sand and the water? Will you still be able to fit in the big rocks? No, you won't. All right. So in order to fill a, a, a jug of water with those things, you have to start off with the big rocks and then there will be space for the sand to come through and also water. And so my question to you is, do you know what the big rocks in your life are? Some people, when I ask this question, might say, Paul, it's my health. Paul, it's my personal development. Paul, it's my marriage. Paul, it's my children. They'll mention things like that. But here's the challenge, because I like to then say to those people, is that reflected in your use of money? Is that reflected in your use of time? Can you see that's where the challenge is? We know our priorities. We know the things that are most important to us. But it doesn't always translate to our daily routine, our schedule, our use of money, our budget. All right. If you need help with this process, what I think is so powerful is that the Bible is very clear that some things must be prioritized over other things. You see, we have limited resources of time and energy. We can't do everything. In order to fully embrace the yes of your life, you must be willing to say no to certain things. And you see, sometimes it's not a straight no. Sometimes it's actually not yet. Sometimes it's not me. Sometimes it's, let me show you who to go to. But we have to be able to say no to certain things in order to fully embrace the yes of our lives. And that's why it's important to not just have to-do lists, but we also need to have a stop-to-do list, okay? So that we're able to eliminate certain things, things that might have been relevant for last year, but they're not appropriate for this year. In Matthew 6, verse 24, the Bible says, No one can serve two masters. This is Jesus speaking. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And what happens with the person who fails to prioritize, they try to fill their heart up with so many different things that are always competing for attention. And very often God doesn't end up winning in that particular situation. All right. And what I find interesting, if you go a bit further to Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What I find powerful about these scriptures, they're actually emphasizing the power of managing your priorities. And they're basically speaking to us saying, put God first in everything that you do. When you try to entertain all sorts of other things, very often they will end up taking God's place. Now, what's powerful is we often say, seek first the kingdom, seek first the kingdom. But we don't know what seek really means. Okay, it comes from an interesting word, zateo, which means to require, it means to demand, it means to search for. So we are called to seek the kingdom first, to require the kingdom first, to demand kingdom things in our lives first, to search for the kingdom first. And that word first is the word protos, which literally means first, yes, it also means before. In other words, when it comes to sequencing of things, that must come first, before other things. It also means principle, not, not just principle L-E, but principle A-L. In other words, the thing that's of most importance, okay? Principle and most important. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Some translations say all these things will be added to you. This is what I find interesting. There are certain things you can seek. And there are other things that need to just be added by God. You see, you can seek influence, for example. You can seek to make an impact for the kingdom. But it is for God to add certain things like fame. 
Be careful of seeking fame. There's certain things you shouldn't be seeking as an end in themselves, okay? We're called to seek first the kingdom and kingdom things. And there's certain things that are added to us. And I'm telling you right now, your true priorities are seen in what you seek after. Your true priorities are seen in what you seek after. The Bible shows us how certain people seek after certain things. In Luke 14 verse 7, it says, When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Right? It's interesting because some people seek honor. They seek the best places. They seek to be first. God is saying, no, allow me to raise you up. You focus on the kingdom and I will raise you up. In John chapter 5, verse 44, it says, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another? Now, that word accept actually can be translated seek or receive. It's quite an active process. It's not just a passive process. How can you believe since you accept or take or seek glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So what should I be seeking? Glory from God. I should be seeking honor from God. Those are the things I should seek after the kingdom of God. Other things God will add to my life, but I mustn't seek after them. In Luke 12, verse 22 to 24, the Bible says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. What is God saying? What is he communicating? This passage is basically communicating that there are some things that are more important than others. There are some things that are more important than others. You see, this passage is highlighting the power of understanding the relative importance of things. You see, we are more important than birds. Our bodies are more important than our clothes. And when we begin to order and rank things aright in our lives, a lot of our worries go. A lot of our anxieties go. If you're helping someone to overcome fear, to overcome anxiety, just coach them in the area of priorities. Coach them in the area of ordering and ranking of certain things. Very often we worry a lot and we end up in fear because we focused on the wrong thing. That's why scripture shows us that he will keep thee in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on him, whose mind is stayed upon him. All right. When we order things aright, we have peace in our hearts. So important to understand this. <clears throat> I love this scripture. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came up to him, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, this is such a juicy passage of scripture because Jesus was protective over Mary's priorities. Can you see that? And one of the things I've learned is that guarding people's priorities is something that we can do. For example, I often do this at home uh, for my wife. There are times where maybe she's spending time in prayer or uh, maybe she's seeking the Lord concerning something. Maybe she's doing some kind of work. And I find myself continuously guarding that space of hers uh, from the children because sometimes the children aren't aware of this and they're like, Mommy, I want this. Mom, I want this. Mom, can I have this? Mom, can I have this? I'm like, guys... Give your mom space. And I see Jesus doing a similar thing here where he's protective over Mary's priorities. Right? Um, so this is so important. And if you unpack this uh, passage of scripture, you see a number of things. Number one is that you have to fight for what's important to you. You have to fight for what's important to you. If you don't fight for it, what will happen is there are things that can come and literally distract you. Right? In the case of Mary, it was the big sister, the big sister syndrome. You know, hey, you need to be working. What are you doing there? 
Jesus, come on, instruct her. You could see Martha was convinced that what she was doing and what was going on in her world was more important than anything else. But that's where the deception is. She was distracted by those particular things. All right. So you're going to have to fight for what's important to you. I don't know if you know what your priorities are, but let me tell you something. If you don't fight for those particular things, then they won't happen. There'll be things that will come that will actually uh, derail you and distract you. Secondly, I want to highlight from this passage that you must identify what is at war with the things you have chosen to prioritize. If you've chosen in your family to prioritize your quality time with each other, I'm telling you right now that gadgets and social media today you know, with what's happened with lockdown, people being at home more, everyone having in, you know, enough data, uh, Wi-Fi, etc. Um, gadgets and social media are biggie today. You know, uh, marriages are being destroyed because of this. A lot of people feel like they're second best. You know, they're not a priority anymore. Let me just tell you something. Get into the habit of this, of doing this. After you've finished your work, I spoke about chunking uh, last week. After you've finished your work, you've chunked out your work time and so on. Go and just plug in your phone. That's what I do. I just put my phone into my study, put it on flight mode. Okay. The sky isn't going to fall. How did we used to cope when we didn't have smartphones? When we didn't have Facebook and other things, you know, I know you want to see how many likes you got and, you know, who responded to something, but you'll literally spend the whole evening just waiting to see their responses. And the impact it has on your spouse, on your children, on the people around you is that, you know what, you would rather be connecting with those people than uh, actually connecting with us. Uh, my wife and I, as you know, had our anniversary a few days ago and we were out for lunch. We actually had an interesting chat. We were just talking about what we need to do in our marriage, what we need to do to strengthen our marriage. And we were actually talking about our quality time with each other. That sometimes when you see each other a lot at home and you're always talking about various things, etc., you can think that you're spending a lot of time with each other, but it's not the same as undivided quality time, undivided attention, where you're having very deep and meaningful conversations. And we were challenging ourselves to just go to our next level with regard to that. And so I want to encourage you, if, you've, if you find this to be a challenge in your household, uh, gadgets, social media, deal with it, deal with it. It will affect the quality of your relationships. Have boundaries, strong boundaries around these things, okay? But what else? What else is competing with the things that are of primary importance in your life? You see, in the scripture, we see that often good things can be the enemy of the great. What Martha was doing was a good thing. She was serving, right? But that can be the enemy of the great thing, right? Jesus was, was so important because, was, was so powerful in what he said. He specifically said, you know what? Only one thing matters. Only one thing matters, right? He initially said only few things. Then he says, indeed, only one thing is of most importance, and I think that's so powerful. For me, that speaks of uh, almost being minimalist about certain things, simplifying your life and just saying, I'm going to put God first. I'm going to put my relationship with him first and everything else will flow from that. I also see from this scripture that when you are anxious, it derails you from the most important things. And that's what happened with Martha. Because Jesus says to Martha, 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 you're worrying about so many things. So many things are troubling you. And as a result of that, she was just busy, 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 but in the wrong direction. The most important things can be taken away from you if you don't fight for them. This is such an important principle here. If you don't fight for them, maybe if Mary didn't have Jesus to protect her in that situation, she might have just ended up internalizing what Martha had said. She might have just felt like, oh, maybe I'm lazy. Oh, maybe, yes, there's a time for me to actually sit at Jesus' feet. Yeah, maybe Martha is right. So be very careful of that. Fight for what's important in your life. Another principle we see is that when you are not clear about what is most important, you get distracted. The reality is Martha was not clear about what's most important, so she got distracted. All right? <clears throat> Another principle here is that prioritizing is a function of choice. You see, as I was going through this, I kind of was thinking, yeah, okay, well, maybe Mary did that by default. You know, sometimes it can almost seem like, oh, maybe Mary was a bit lazy and she just didn't want to do the chores, so she would prefer just chatting. Maybe she was an extrovert. But I find it interesting that she was actually, a, she was an active participant in this process because Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better. 
So Mary actively chose. She could have gone and done all the chores, but she chose to be with Jesus. Isn't that powerful? We also see an example of what I'm talking about in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through to 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them uh, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And says that the proposal pleased the whole group and then they chose a number of men who are listed there. Uh, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Please note, before they had done this, it just says the disciples were increasing numerically. But after they had done this, it says the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So in this passage, we see that failure to prioritize can result in neglecting your main purpose. And that's why the apostle says, they said, it is wrong for us. It would not be right for us, okay, to neglect the word and prayer. In other words, they came to a place where they had to prioritize. They had to choose, right? Um, so failure to prioritize can result in you neglecting your main purpose. Just like with the apostles, they were getting caught up now in um, waiting on tables instead of actually focusing on the word and prayer. They saw that mm, this thing is not great. And I don't know how long they've been in that space, by the way. I don't know if it's a thing where they only realized it and obeyed straight away, or if there was a season where they were actually getting stuck in the admin. I believe there was a bit of a season because issues were now arising. You see, the grace had lifted in terms of them being involved at that particular level. What I also learned from this passage is that what may be a priority for one person might not be a priority for another. So it became a priority for these first deacons or appointed servants. That's the, the, the word uh, that we prefer to use. It became a priority for them, but not for the apostles. Okay? What I see here also is we're not all called to the same thing. The apostles had to focus on the word and prayer. It's not to say that these other guys didn't do the word and prayer. It's not to say they weren't involved in that, but it wasn't necessarily their primary purpose to the degree to which it was for these apostles, okay? Um, so we're not all called to the same thing. This is so important, understanding this. I also learned here that there are people out there that are graced to do what is currently draining me. You see, sometimes we end up not delegating to other people because we feel for them. We're like, oh, this is tough. Oh, these guys have to lift up this equipment and they have to do this, they have to do that. It's tough. But for some people, that's how they feel they're being useful. I remember it happened to me when it came to some of the setup duties at church and so on. And in the past, I'd be involved in some of those things. And I remember um, being told by a couple of the brothers, hey, pastor, you know what? We will do this. It's fine. You've now appointed people. We'll run with this. And they were so right. But here's me, I'm thinking, but I'm, I need to be a servant leader. I want to be a servant leader. I, I, I'm not lazy and, I, you know, I can help, you know, and I'm not weak and I can, you know, but they're like, no. And they were so right because I would have just preached my lungs out. I need to be focused in terms of recuperation. And then early in the morning, I need to be focused. Instead of running around with equipment, I need to be in prayer. So it was so, such a powerful example, so similar to this, Okay. Um, I remember, you know, I don't like admin that much. And I remember being blown away when I realized that sometimes the things I loathe, there are people out there who love those particular things. What you loathe, other people out there love those things and you can delegate to them. I remember with one organization, I was doing a workshop for them and I said, who here loves admin? And a couple of ladies raised their hands. They said, yes. Oh, I just love it. Having a pile of papers and just, you know, oh, that pile of papers and just working through all my to-do lists, etc. I said, please, can I take you guys wherever I go, please? I'll just put you in a suitcase and we will go there. And I realized that sometimes the things that I loathe, there are people out there who love those particular things. Okay. Um, managing our priorities helps us to maximize on our strengths. And that's what happened. The apostles began to maximize on their strengths. 
when they manage their priorities, when they delegate it. I also see in this passage that everyone is blessed, fruitful, and more effective when we maximize on our priorities. Did you notice how they became fruitful? It says that the number of disciples increased rapidly in that particular area, and people who were priests also came, became obedient to the faith. So we all become more effective and there's more peace when we can actually prioritize. I'm also seeing that what worked last year might not work this year. So your priorities can also change. This is so important to understand because when they started out, it might have been appropriate for them to be involved in uh, the work with the widows and so on. But at a certain point, they needed to shift their priorities. Are there certain things that you are still doing in 2021 Okay, that were really for 2019 or 2016, but you're still doing them today out of habit. So the principle here is that what worked last year might not work this year. Priorities can change. And as a result of that, we all need a stop to-do list. We all need to have a stop to-do list. You see, I also believe that it requires courage to do this. We sometimes need the courage to reprioritize. Because sometimes we remain in our comfort zone. Sometimes there's a reason why we don't want to focus on these new things and we still want to do these other things. Sometimes we're deluded into thinking we can do it better than the other people. I often say this, that if someone else can do it 80% as good as you, let them do it and you focus on what you need to focus on. So sometimes we need to have courage to reprioritize. What do you need to reprioritize today? I also realized looking at this passage that changing our priorities might mean delegating to other people as opposed to abdication of responsibility. You see, sometimes we make the mistake of saying, I'm going to now focus on this new thing in 2021. And then we don't get anyone to actually end up picking up the baton from where we left off. Right? Sometimes those things are still important. It's just that someone else needs to be doing it. Now, here's the thing, and I mentioned this earlier on. Many of us know our priorities. Few of us manage them. You see, I can ask people what and who's the most important to them, and they will have answers. However, their challenge is that there's often incongruence between what they have just said to me and their use of time or their budget allocation. And here's the thing I've realized. Often we measure the importance of something based on the intensity of emotion that we associate with that thing. Have you noticed that? Right? Have you noticed that? So, for example, uh, you say to someone, um, who's most important in your life? And they'll say, my children, all oh, my children, because they feel a lot of emotion when it comes to their kids. And then you say, well, how much time do you spend with them? And then they're telling you something else completely different. Okay. Um, so we need to ask more than two questions deep in order to really see whether we are prioritizing the right things, right? We want to be doers of the word. We don't want to just be theoretically saying, this is most important to me, but we're actually not putting it to practice, okay? So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 to 5 says, it's talking about the qualifications of an overseer, someone who oversees a church. It says, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Now, based on this scripture to do with the qualifications of a church overseer, tell me, what is the priority? What is that person's priority? You see, your family is your primary ministry. If you don't know how to minister to your own family, that can disqualify you in terms of ministering to the church at large. You see, when we apply this truth, it actually ends up affecting our daily routine and our weekly schedule. And it's interesting because there are many scriptures throughout the Bible that you can study that are similar, that show you that in order to qualify for this, you need to first have done this. So that's the thing to prioritize. And it's so sad today that there are many people, pastors, preachers, right, and, you know, strong Christians who tend to focus so much on that and they neglect what should be their primary ministry, which is actually to disciple their own families. So here's some key questions for you to answer. Okay, this is to really see, to really see and to really explore your priorities. Who gets the best of me? 
Who right now is actually getting the best of me? Who's getting the best of me intellectually? Who's getting the best of me emotionally? Who's getting the best of me in terms of how I dress, my deportment, how I carry myself? You see, many people, many people give their best at work, and I've said this many times, whilst their loved ones get the leftovers. Let's be honest. When we're at work and in our professions, we put our best foot forward, we talk nicely, we dress nicely, we smell good. And then when people get home, what happens? It's almost like all of that is just thrown out the window. And your spouse can end up feeling like, oh, I see how you suddenly change your voice when you're speaking to your boss or when you're speaking to your work colleagues, but you're so rude at home. Okay? It's important to really unpack this. Who gets the best of me? If I'm saying my wife is most important to me, she must get the best of me. You know, Jesus prioritized certain people. Jesus had a target market. And you see, a lot of people struggle with this concept. I remember a friend of mine was talking to a friend of his, and this guy has got amazing material that he's developed in a specific uh, area where he's a subject matter expert, and this material is quite expensive. And this friend of mine said to him, but what about for the people who can't afford? And this guy basically said, I'm not called to everyone. And he had a point. He said, I'm not called to everyone. And you see, sometimes we've got this thing where we want to be all things to all people. And we say, yes, whoever comes my way, I'll help them, Paul. And of course, there's that grace we have. We're not rigid about these things. But it's important to know who your primary target market is. And I'm telling you right now, Jesus had one. Jesus had one. In Matthew 15, verse 24, it says, He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, this is when a woman came to him and she wanted healing, right? But what is interesting is he still provided healing for our household. But what is interesting is the answer he gave her initially. He was basically saying, I can help you, but you're actually not my primary target market. You're an exception. All right. Um, and it's not like Jesus didn't care about the rest of the world. He just knew that right now in my three and a half years of ministry, this is my focus. And if you look in scripture, it tells us, go and preach the gospel where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, right? And all the, and, um, and all the, the nations of the world. There was an order to it. And so sometimes when it comes to what we prioritize, it's also to do with what do we do first? And then what do we do second? Then what do we do third? In Matthew uh, 15, 24, we see that. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Another scripture that um, reinforces the point I'm making in Mark 2, 16 to 17, when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's why he hung out with those sinners. That's why he ministered to those particular sinners. You see, ask yourself, the people that need me the most, what do they need from me that only I can give them? And then give them that. You are not called to everyone as your primary focus. This is so important. You know, who's your primary focus? Is there a certain age group? Is there a certain niche that God has called you to? And you find that even in business, often you become more effective when you understand who your target market is. And then you prioritize them. Then you prioritize them. You see, uh, Peter was called to the Jews. Paul was called to the Gentiles. They had different areas of focus. In Galatians 2, 7 to 8, it says, On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles basically, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, the Jews. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. So guess what? You can have the same mantle as someone else. You can be graced in a similar way as someone else, but have different callings in terms of your area of passion or the direction to which you must go or the people you must reach. It's so important to understand that. You know, um, for a season in my life some years ago, I actually made a decision where I put a moratorium to my travels in terms of ministering in other churches. This was a, for a particular season, okay? I was getting invitations to do this, but I had to focus on my primary calling, what I had to do in that season. 
And I made a decision that I would only go and preach in other churches when it was leadership related, when it was something to do with speaking on leadership or strengthening leadership, because I knew that that was my primary calling. And so I would go for that. If I was just going to just speak on anything, even topics, I'm not that clued up. And guess what? I end up not conserving my energy. So what I was doing was I was prioritizing my primary calling and I was conserving my energy. So another question to ask yourself is, what are my priorities in my giving? Who's God called me to give to? What are my priorities in my use of time? In my use of time. See, many people will say things like when it comes to giving, you know, my church is so important. Oh, I love my church and so on. But it doesn't translate in how they give to their local church. All right. Um, what are my priorities in my use of time, in how I use my time? How is it seen in my schedule? Let me share with you a bit um, around some benefits of managing your priorities. This is so important. Managing priorities produces clarity of focus. That's the first principle to understand. When you manage your priorities, you end up with clarity of focus. You know, Jesus said to Martha, only one thing is needed right? It sounds quite minimalist, doesn't it? There's a great teacher called Howard Hendricks who once said, the secret to concentration is elimination. If you want to focus on a particular thing, you have to eliminate other things. So managing your priority, your priorities produces clarity of focus. Managing your priorities helps in decision-making. What I've seen is that people often find themselves in a quandary when it comes to deciding. Okay, they're not too sure. They're double-minded. And it's simply because very often they're unclear about their priorities. When you know that this is what's more important than this, it's so easy to make decisions. If I know my wife comes first, all right, it's very easy to make decisions when my children are saying, yeah, mom said she wants this, but we want this. It's so easy because I've pre-decided who's most important to me. Okay, um, managing priorities determines your sources of counsel, you know. Uh, this is where someone comes and say, yeah, my friend says this, but my wife says that. Well, who comes first, right? My family is saying this, but my pastors say that. Who have you pre-decided you're going to receive counsel from? I see this happening quite a bit where maybe I'm doing premarital counseling or trying to help people. And I say, this is the biblical thing to do. Two weeks later, someone might come back. They've done the opposite thing. And I'm like, what's going on here? No, our auntie told us this. No, this person told us that. And I'm like, okay. Clearly, we see where your priorities really are in terms of your sources of counsel, okay? Are you clear who to prioritize when seeking counsel? Do you prioritize the Bible over human quotes? I like quotes. We're actually developing a number of books with just quotes in them. Quotes, quotes, quotes and different topics and so on. I love quotes, but when I'm preaching, I want to make sure that the word is preeminent, right? So that we see the order of these things, that God's word comes first, Right? And is of primary importance before a wise quote that um, some legend said. Right? So do you prioritize the Bible over what human beings have spoken? You see, when we manage our priorities, we become more efficient. That's one of the benefits of being able to manage your priorities. You actually become more efficient as a person. For example, Moses. Moses was an executor. But he was inefficient because he was unclear about how to prioritize his tasks. Can you see when we talk about priorities, we're talking about what's most important to you, but we're also talking about the order and ranking of things. And when we speak of order and ranking of things, you'll see with Moses, he didn't quite know how to do it in a particular scenario. <clears throat> Let me read it to you. In Exodus 18, 13 through to 26, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, this was Jethro, his father-in-law, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as a judge, sit as judge, while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me, to seek God's will. So can you see his behavior is being driven by the people's needs. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. And that's the same thing I want to say to many of you who are listening. What you are doing is not good. 
You see, if you look at the context of this particular passage, earlier on, uh, they'd been sharing with each other all the good things that Moses was doing. And Jethro's father-in-law was marveling over them. But in terms of how he was going about it, in terms of how he was scheduling his time, in terms of how he was prioritizing his tasks, it's interesting. Jethro said, what you are doing is not good. And this is what we need to start telling people. Because I'm telling you right now, there are a lot of Christians who are unhealthy, who are going to be burnt out if they're not careful. Uh, What they're doing is not good. Verse 18, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. You'll only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Some people need to be told that, right? Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. In other words, prioritize that. Teach them his decrees and instructions, the word, okay? So prayer, intercessor, right? And the word, the word and prayer, very similar to the apostles, right? And show them the way they're to live and how they're to behave. Instruction, teaching, guidance. Verse 21, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. You see, everyone will be blessed in the process. And he must have been picking up that people were tired of waiting for Moses. They knew it was good. They knew he was wise. But they're like, oh, these cues are long. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. And I'm telling you right now, these are things we need to do. You might be skilled in a particular area, but it's not all for you to do, right? I need to certify people, get people trained up in marriage counseling, for example. I can't do it all myself, all right? Um, And we've started those kinds of processes. We need to equip people to do certain things. You see, for many believers with great potential today, there's a lot of guilt they experience when trying to focus. Okay, And this ends up shifting them from potential greatness as they get worn out. They get worn out. You see, they're filled with guilt because they feel like, I'm not serving enough. right? But they'll get worn out. You see, the devil knows he can't stop you if you're a strong believer. So what he will do is he'll deceive you into thinking you must do more, 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 and you must do everything until you're worn out. All right? And so this is really a powerful passage of scripture to meditate on how Jethro actually advised um, his his son-in-law. I want to highlight this. Priorities can change in different seasons. Priorities can change in different seasons. In Matthew 10, 5 to 6, it says, These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Now that seems harsh. That seems horrible, right? It says, he says, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, is that to say Jesus never ministered to Samaritans? Of course he did. There's a passage of scripture we all know um, in about John 4. It basically says that Jesus had to go through uh, Samaritans, the Samaritan villages. And then he came across a woman who was sitting at a well. So he ministered to her and then she ministered to her people. All right. So that was an exception. But I find it interesting that strategically when he sent out the 12th, he said, do not go amongst the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Why? Because it wasn't the season for that. He had focus for this particular season. Now, if that applies to Jesus, it should also apply to you and me. Right? Now, look at this. Different season. Look what happens. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 8, and then 14 to 17. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city 
in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. So they were now going to Samaria and they found this to be important. Why? When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all played close attention, paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. They didn't say, oh, no, Jesus said we mustn't go to Samaria. No, this is a different season. It's like, yes, let's go to Samaria now. The apostles went to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not, for, had not yet um, come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit, right? So there was a season where the focus was on the children of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel. And then later it shifted. My question to you is what season are you in right now? Are you ready to launch out or do you still need mentorship and training? What's your growth phase right now? It's important to understand these things. Many times people will have visions of what they need to do in their lives, but they don't know that life is lived in seasons. So they want to accomplish everything this year. It doesn't work that way. It's about me knowing what's for 2021. How am I going to fulfill my purpose by doing what I'm supposed to do for 2021? Okay, Lord, you've given me this. Is this for now or is this for later? Oh, okay, that'll be from 2025 onwards. Thank you, Lord. Okay, and we, we get to know these things when we're close in, re, in close relationship with the Lord. And those of you running organizations, it's important to understand that companies grow for different reasons in different seasons. Okay, and I've taught on this quite a bit before. Do you know what will grow your company in this season? Because it's not necessarily the same thing that grew your company uh, three years ago. Okay, and how does that inform you concerning what you should prioritize right now? You see, with a lot of organizations, firstly, in the first phase, there's growth due to creativity. There's an entrepreneur who starts the company and he's a creative person. So it's ideas, ideas, ideas. And we talk about getting an idea from heaven, getting a dream from heaven. Oh, great ideas. But you know what? It won't sustain the organization if it's just all about ideas, ideas, ideas. That was for the growth phase to take it off, to take the business off, right? Uh, but secondly, the second phase, very often it's growth due to direction. So you've got a leader who brings focus and says, this is going to be our focus. This is our direction. This is where we are going. And in the third phase of growth, it's often growth due to coordination. We're doing all of these things, but we need to coordinate all of them. How is it going to work? Right? I feel my life is a bit scattered. How can we coordinate all of this? How can we group it all together? What are we going to do? Right? And then the fourth stage of growth is often growth due to collaboration, where you're literally saying, Lord, I need wisdom. In order for my organization to go to its next level, I now need to collaborate with this person or with that person. And just be careful about who you collaborate with. I remember I did a series on spiritual alliances. It's so important to understand that. Right? So as an individual, do you know what growth phase you're in? Are you mentoring others? Are you launching out yourself? Are you being mentored? And then with your organization, maybe an organization you run, an organization you work in, do you know what the growth phase is? And guys, it's not an exact science. Sometimes these phases of growth overlap with each other. All right? I want to end this message by giving you a practical tool that could really help you out. You see, as we discuss prioritizing, it's important to remember that we've got general life priorities, but we've also got specific task-related priorities for this week, all right? Um, so I want to give you a practical tool that can help you to um, embed your weekly priorities, okay? Um, key thing to do is create a to-do list. Okay, it might happen on a Sunday night, whenever you're planning for your week, just develop a to-do list. And when you come up with your to-do list, spend time to actually categorize the tasks and activities in the following way, right? A, B, C, D, E, F, right? That's how you, you categorize them, right? Your A items are basically things that are most important and they're also quite urgent, right? Your A items. These are the things that, you know, you need to do them. And it's important that you do them at that particular time that you've scheduled to do them. Okay, that's quite important. Your B items are important, but not to the extent of A items. 
Your C items are the nice to do's. Okay, that's why this, they, that's why it's C because they're nice to do. Those are those things you enjoy doing, but often you tend to choose to do them when you know that you're neglecting first things, right? You're neglecting the main thing, right? You're not doing first things first because of the nice to do, right? And then the D is things that you should actually be delegating. You should be delegating. You had them on your to-do list, but if you press pause and you reflect like Moses had to do, you're like, you know what? I can actually get the kids to do this. They need to learn how to do this particular thing and they're old enough right now. And there's also what we call upward delegation, upward delegation, where you can actually say to your boss or someone senior to say, you know what, I really think it'll be, it'll have more clout having you in that particular meeting, actually. Okay. Um, so those are some of the things you can actually do. So that's your D items. And then your E items are eliminate, things to eliminate. You see, sometimes we write down things in our to-do list and it's great. But then when you go through it again, you realize, you know what, I actually don't need to do this. I'm putting it down because it's a habit, but I actually don't need to do this. Or I don't need to do it as often. I can just do it once a month. Why is it on my weekly to-do list? Oh, this thing is not relevant anymore. It was relevant last year, but it's actually not necessary anymore. The reason we created that particular thing was for X, Y, Z. But now that's irrelevant. Okay. And then F is flexibility required on your part. This is where you've said to yourself, one of my tasks is I need to go to home affairs to collect such and such. And then you realize, wait a minute, I must be flexible about this. Oh, there's that company I can use. Okay. Oh, I can do it actually online. Oh, I can go via this. And this is where you need to be flexible. Right. And then sometimes I like to add a G there. And that's really the God factor. All right. Where you actually need to just pray about the particular thing because maybe it shouldn't even be on that particular list. Maybe it should be eliminated. Or maybe you're saying to yourself, Lord, I really hate this task, but I know I need to do it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you're doing with regards to our priorities. We yield ourselves to you and we say, Lord, release grace. Release grace in our lives, Lord, so that we keep the main thing, the main thing. So that we would be like Mary who sat at your feet and listened to you, listened to your words, Lord. May we put you first. May we seek first your kingdom. And Father, in our day-to-day -day lives, take us to a place, Lord, where we fight for that which we've said to ourselves is of most importance, where we fight for it, where we don't let ourselves be distracted by other things that want to take over those priorities. We ask for your help, Lord, because we want to have a bias toward action, because we want to be effective in getting things done. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to encourage you in this particular season, join us for the fast, uh, the first six days of uh, February. Just begin to prepare for that, begin to reflect on that. We'll put up more information about it on the website and you can access that, but uh, join us for that. And in the meantime, join us for our Zoom prayer meetings. They're very, very powerful and it's where you learn to grow and equip yourself in the area of prayer and your relationship with God. Make a decision as you go from this particular message. Have a discussion around your priorities and how they're going to translate to everyday life. God bless you.